Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit. Well, hi, everybody. This is Mark Graven. I want to welcome you to our new podcast, Lean Whiskey. This is uh, our first episode uh, because we're talking lean and whiskey. It's maybe not, it's not a dry run. Maybe it's a wet run. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, well, it, it, it will be once we start sharing some of our whiskey here. So, <laughs> so um, Jamie Flinchbaugh, um, of course, here. Um, we're, we're really happy to be doing the podcast together you know, we've been talking about this for a little while. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Jamie and I have known each other for, is it 20 years now? It's, yeah, I think so. I think it would be 20, maybe 21 uh, probably is when we first met. Um, yeah. So, you know, we've, we've, we've crossed paths many times. We, we've, we have the shared lean interests. Um, you know, we, we were both in the same program at MIT, the Leaders for Global Operations program. Jamie was a, you. You were one year ahead of me, right? Oh, one year ahead, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's going back to the late '90s. And Jamie was a contributor uh, to LeanBlog.org for a while. Then he, he he went and got his own blog, right? Yeah. It was it was it was fun. You were always very open with your your platforms, and you've had several, including podcasting. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I always enjoyed writing, but it was it was fun to start to test. Um, you know, my, my experience with, with blogging, with, with, with your blog and making contributions to that for quite a while before I, mm-hmm. I did my own. And, and that was going back, I mean, like 2005, 2006, early. Right. That was, goes back quite a while. Early days of lean blog. And then, you know, the, the writing continued. Uh, Jamie wrote a chapter for the anthology book that I uh, started and edited a book called Practicing Lean. Um, do, you, do, you, what, do you remember what you wrote about in your chapter? Of course. I wrote about my first lean, uh, real heavy duty lean experience at Harley Davidson. Um, Cause it, it set the tone for my, I don't want to say unique perspective, but at least my perspective on lean about how that worked. And so my whole, my whole spiel about lean is about behaviors came from my observations at, at Harley Davidson installing a large pull system. And that, that was the, the focus of my chapter. Yeah. And you know, we I, both I shared it was a great, a great title of a book, right? Because I, most of us have learned that have been in it for a while have learned most of it by practicing, not, not in the classroom and, and not even really by books, by, by practicing and applying. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think you raise an interesting point. We all do have our own unique perspectives on lean because we're unique people. I started my career at General Motors. You were at Chrysler. We're going to talk about that company later in the podcast. We may have read some of the same books, but we've had different mentors and different influences, right? Yeah, I, I remember uh, when I when I built a class many years ago. I I mapped out even if it was just a particular note that I provided to people, I, I mapped out all the influences on what I was teaching. And it was, it was wide and varied. Um, some of it very deep historical, some of it just people I worked with that, that helped shape how I think. And um, 
I know there's a couple of people that talk about your lean pedigree, right? What, what's the path you've, you've learned on? Um, and, and while there's probably some wrong paths, there probably isn't a single right path. Um, some might disagree with that, but I certainly think there's many ways to develop our own particular unique perspective. Yeah. You know, talking about pedigree, um, I, I wouldn't even call myself a, a purebred TPS person because, you know, I had influences, uh, you know, w, w. Edwards Deming is really influential uh, on me and, and some people, I, you know, so I guess I'd call myself a mutt, people who combine Lean and Six Sigma. I don't mean that as an insult <laughs> <laughs> if they're mutts, but. Yeah, and, my, and mine is very heavily colored, I'd say, by two categories. Um, one is people trying to apply TPS, not, not adopt it wholesale, but apply it to their environments. And, and I'd say another is the entire learning organization community, because I, I really immersed myself in the idea that Lean is about learning very early and um, uh, helped make some of those early connections between those two communities, which have come together and fallen apart many different times. But but uh, again, some of my, my many influences would fall into those two buckets. Yeah, so you know, one of the reasons we're doing the podcast here, we're, we're, we're both really into learning. We both try to share and teach and keep learning. We also, we're, we're going to try to have some fun in this podcast, right? Yeah, so, so that's a good time to talk about the title and what we're doing here. Because we, you know, we, we've certainly had many, we don't get many opportunities. You live in a very different, well, a different time zone than I live in. Yeah. But when we do get to get together, we have that opportunity. We almost always have a chance to share a whiskey and have a nice, long, casual conversation. So, so the idea of this being called Lean Whiskey is, you know, imagine if those, those late night discussions uh, we would have over sharing a, a shared interest of whiskey, uh, we could record it and it would have some value to somebody. And, and who knows? Uh, who out there is really interested in it, but just being able to do this in a semi-structured way, um, I think is is going to be good for me, right? It's that we learn from each other and always have. Um, and, and, you know, most of the time it's just you and I out for a whiskey, but we'll have, there's other people that like whiskey and lean as well, and I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll have them on, but this will be very different than your typical format of, Mark interviewing somebody, this will just be us talking about a few things that interest us. And we're not, we're not going to overdo it with the whiskey talk. And if somebody uh, isn't, we're not going to overdo it with the whiskey either. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I generally try to pace myself yeah. there. Um, and, and while we will drink whiskey and share what we're drinking, we, we won't, uh, we won't go too deep into the, the history and, and our, our, all our interest in, in uh, enjoying whiskey. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've owned the domain name leanwhiskey.com for a couple of years and didn't know what to do with it. So here's something to do with it. Um, I think there's some inspiration if people are familiar with lean coffee, um, lean coffee, uh, you can go to leancoffee.org. That's a, you know, a way of facilitating generally it's group discussions. And, you know, I think a, loosely structured enough sort of way. Uh, my, my friend Jim Benson is one of the co-creators of that. Um, so I've facilitated a number of these at different conferences and 
events. Uh, when, when I've gone to the Society for Health Systems Conference, the last couple of years, they've done a, a session called Lean Cocktails, which that very much follows the Lean Coffee format of brainstorming topics on post-it notes, um, having a timer. Uh, we're, we're not going to be quite that strict about it, but it's sort of an homage to Lean Coffee. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I think just the, the high octane coffee, right? The idea is covering lots of topics with some energy and focus uh, and purpose is, is all part of that. And I've used it at, at internal conferences at a company. I've used it more casually, but it, it's a great format, but it is meant to do a lot of quick hits on a lot of topics with a group of people. And you know, if, if whiskey's your high octane and whiskey is your slow down and relax, that pretty much characterizes the difference between what we think a lean coffee event is and what we think this podcast is going to be. Yeah. So uh, we want to thank everyone for giving us a shot. And uh, not, again, well, that's a bad whiskey. That was an unintended pun. We're sipping our whiskey. We're not doing shots. But. We, we are not doing shots. That's, I can't even think of the last time I did that. But but we will in that spirit. We will sort of. Pick <laughs> oh, there's another uh, in, in spirit. There's. Another. Oh, yes. I didn't even I completely unplanned there. Um, so we will pick a theme. We'll both pick a whiskey to enjoy um, each time we do this. Um, we'll, we'll see if we how far we go with episodes and how creative we need to get on the uh, on, on the on the themes. But you know, when most people think about. American whiskey, they think about particularly Kentucky bourbon. Um, so that's the that's that's pretty common. Uh, that's where an awful lot of volume is. So our our first first topic, our first theme is actually American non-Kentucky whiskey, um, of which there's so much that that out there uh, that's that's non-Kentucky bourbon, non-Kentucky whiskey of other varieties. Mm -hmm. um, so so that's that's our our first theme. So what, what did you choose within that category? Well, and if we do 50 episodes, I, you know, there, there is literally whiskey being made in all 50 of the U.S. states and many, many countries around the world, and that's fun to explore. Um, so today I am drinking a Texas straight bourbon whiskey. And for those who think bourbon can only from, come from uh, Kentucky, uh, that's actually a federal designation. And um, I'm drinking uh, one of my favorite it is my favorite Texas whiskey from a distillery called Garrison Brothers, which is about an hour west of Austin. And I'm drinking what they call their Balmeray straight bourbon whiskey. It's been um, aged two years in American oak and then aged another two years in a second different barrel. Um, it creates a really rich and, and complex whiskey. And it was uh, recently named the American Micro Whiskey of the Year by James Murray, the author of the whiskey Bible. So uh, I love it. Um, the fact that other people love it is going to make it increasingly difficult to find, but, but that's what I'm having here tonight. Yeah. yeah. So we may, we may not always choose stuff that people can acquire, but you know, I, I have had Garrison brothers with you. Uh, you've introduced me to it, but not this particular uh, mm -hmm. varietal. Um, so my choice uh, tonight is the Wyoming whiskey outrider. Wyoming whiskey is obviously from Wyoming, to your point, around 50 states. And, and of course, Wyoming has lots and lots of grain. So they, 
They use uh, locally farmed grain from the Blue Horn Basin in that region. They use water specifically from a specific uh, limestone aquifer nearby. Um, and honestly, I, I got this. I didn't know anything about it. Um, part of a whiskey club, so it shows up at my door. I try it. And, and really one of the, the darker and richer uh, uh, whiskeys that I've had, especially American, um, uh, very rich, uh, darker and richer than most bourbons and most ryes that I've had. So, and I'm enjoying it in um, uh, an etched, uh, etched whiskey glass with my name etched into it uh, that was given to me by my sister-in-law. So, oh. so what does it say on the bottle what grains it's made from? Uh, you know, it, it probably does. Uh, it, it is a straight American whiskey. Um, and just looking here, it's, you know, as they say, it's not a bourbon, it's not a true rye, mm -hmm. uh, hard to brand. I do know that they, they use, uh, you know, some, some grain, some, you know, some corn and, mm -hmm. um, but it is a combination of, you know, rye, corn, barley, um, but it doesn't say much about any, any, yeah. any percentages, but yeah. Um, well, the, the Garrison okay. brothers being straight bourbon whiskey is at least 51% corn. Um, but this is also, they, they use wheat and barley. Um, so it's a wheated bourbon. There's a certain category um, that has you know, uh, wheat instead of rye. Um, Pappy Van Winkle is a famous, famously expensive uh, wheated yeah. bourbon. Um, that people may have heard about if we haven't had a chance to drink it. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned uh, some pretty expensive whiskey that I was out for dinner last night and uh, it was on their specials menu. They just kind of their specials. And I don't I haven't often seen, you know, whiskey listed along with your other specials, but they had it for $70 an ounce. Eesh. Um, yeah. I, I did not partake. There was other options, but uh $70 an ounce is, is what they were selling it for. Yeah, as with uh, many things, uh, I guess there's supply and demand, uh, values defined by the customer, I guess, as we say in the lean. At least the, the customer with, uh, with cash in their pocket. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk about another, so let, let, let's shift to talking about lean and the news. Um, and we, I saw a headline, uh, it, it was on a number of, I found it a couple different places online. I'll, we'll, we'll post a link to the article in the show notes. But the headline read, Inside Fiat Chrysler's Toledo Turnaround. And it said, uh, just give a couple of highlights here, that there was an uncommon level of union collaboration with Fiat Chrysler management and the UAW in Toledo, Ohio, that the, the product built there, the, the Jeep Wrangler, was so hot that the plant was running virtually around the clock. So the union pushed for a flexible system where workers could choose to work anywhere between four and seven days a week, which was unusual. And one employee, Tracy Seymour said, why we succeed uh, is that the union and management came together. And so it sounds like there were a lot of um, creative uh, approaches there to try to be successful together. Um, Jamie, you have a, a lot of history and perspective here. In particular, I didn't realize when I picked the story about this plant. Yeah, so I, I mean, I actually the, uh, led the design of this initial factory. It's, it's expanded and changed a lot uh, since it was first built um, you know, almost 20 years ago. Uh, so it's, it's, 
still one of their newest factories because you don't make that kind of investment quite often. Uh, many of the key design principles that I tried to put in place were lost between my design efforts and the actual construction. Um, but yeah, I worked with, worked with Chrysler for quite a long time. I helped build the Chrysler operating system. And this was really our first effort at building a new factory with the Chrysler operating system principles in place into the bricks and mortar. Um, it also created an opportunity to perhaps uh, develop a new work culture uh, as you brought employees from the old factory that it replaced, which was the original Jeep factory built in, I believe, 1904 or something of that time frame. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, kind of start up the factory with the right culture, capabilities, and process all at once. What was the time frame? Was that before you were at MIT? Was this? Uh, it was actually around the same time. So, uh, so it was partly leading that design, and we used lean methods to actually develop the design. Some, some of it, you know, very, very simple tools like pew, pew charts to explore iterations of design. I think that we got up to about forty different iterations of hmm. of the of the construct. Um, but that's when we were doing the initial design sort of even before before we even got say all the permits needed to 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 build a paint shop and some of the long lead items that you need in place so yeah. i don't remember when it was launched quite frankly i'm going to guess it probably launched 2003 uh, as it is in quite a while to, and, to build yeah. a factory like that and, and and that was in actually the daimler chrysler era that Before would have Chrysler been, yeah, so the design, uh, the design itself preceded Daimler mm -hmm. uh, just by a little bit. And then Daimler took over, uh, which is about the time that I left, along with almost all of the, the brain power behind the Chrysler operating system. Um, and Daimler, of course, owned it for quite a while. Now, now Fiat does. Um, and uh, because, because of those major changes in direction and leadership, mm. uh, a lot of what we had put in place with the Chrysler operating system, unfortunately, uh, some of it leaked away slowly, some of it stopped uh, very quickly. Well, and, you know, boy, that, I mean, that, unfortunately, that makes me, you know, think of situations in healthcare where hospitals have either gotten um, new ownership or, through a merger or new leadership from the outside and um, you know, some very significant lean initiatives either are left to wither on the vine or are uh, severely pruned back. Um, we're talking about wine now, I guess, instead of whiskey, but um, <laughs> it's, really, it's really sad how, um, uh, yeah, how tenuous uh, the, 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 the grip can be. Uh, well, and, and that became, you know, at least for me, uh, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I learned early on about the importance of behaviors and culture. Um, the experience at Christ, with the Chrysler operating system was very reinforcing. We often referred to it as a failure because of that reason. And, and I believe that if it's truly a culture, it will survive a management overturn. Um, and, uh, you know, th this was... This was not yet embedded. I, I believe that that the number of people that truly thought lean 
within the Chrysler operating system, you know, you, you could count. You couldn't count on one hand. It was still a big, a big number of people that had those set of beliefs. But relative to the 90,000 people in manufacturing uh, as a specific subgroup, uh, by no means was it more powerful than that. And unfortunately, with an event like an acquisition, a lot of people can leave in a very short period of time. And, you know, if you lose two and gain two, you can survive. If you lose 25 of your top lean thinkers in a 18 month period, which is what I believe really happened there, um, it's pretty hard to keep the momentum going past that point. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that jumped out at me in the article, you know, it did make reference to uh, automakers, uh, you know, sort of, you know, following the lead of uh, Toyota. Uh, and, and, you know, there were elements of, of lean thinking and lean practice in the article. So they, they, there's one section there that talked about um, some work that used to be backbreaking. And, you know, so that, that it was too hard on the workers and conditions like that made it too easy for um, certain screws to be missed. And so the article said that there was uh, something called a sweet seat designed. And I have seen this in other auto plants, um, you know, so, you know, creating seats and fixtures that allow people to work more ergonomically and, and making the work easier. And, and the article said it reduced uh, the number of defects. But, you know, the one thing that surprised, I don't know, the, the article, the way they wrote it, they, they seemed legitimately surprised that, oh my gosh, some of these ideas originated with the UAW people working on the factory floor. I'm like, well, that, that's not, that shouldn't be shocking at all. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I'm constantly surprised, um, I don't say constantly, but uh, periodically surprised, uh, running across people that, that really feel that, you know, the folks out there just, just don't, there's no way they have good ideas. They, they feel that they need to design in all the controls so that they can, they can get the outcomes that they want. Um, and I even had a professor who, who taught lean stuff, basically believed you just design the system mm. and everybody will do the right thing. Mm. And um, it, it's a hard thing to truly internalize unless you experience it. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, my, one of my most telling experiences was some of the early stages of, of the Chrysler operating system and worked with a group of about 120 folks, uh, and these would be uh, Canadian Auto Workers Union, so CAW, slightly more uh, aggressive usually than the UAW. Um, but uh, we've implemented with that group of people 900 ideas in less than six months and had massive, massive performance. That's awesome. Yeah. As a result. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was very, uh, very impactful to me. Not that they that these folks do have ideas or don't, but the the momentum that their their the thought process can start to build once you get people looking at their own work. Yeah, I think that's the key. Is yeah. you know, you know, I would always say, how can you know more about a job than someone that does it five hundred times a day? Yeah, they, they, they probably understand every little idiosyncr idiosyncrasy. They just might not have asked a new question about it right? yeah. so but they understand it yeah i mean the 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 journalist could have taken the approach of 
you know, saying, well, was, isn't it amazing that the managers actually listen to them? Right. Because sometimes that's the, the missing part of the equation, right? Yeah, and I never know, um, and I have several journalist friends, I never know what's done, what, what's done based on their bias and what's done for effect to uh, hook the reader. Sure. Uh, but it certainly seemed like a genuine surprise. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, any, any other thoughts you, you want to share about well, I think that, or time at Chrysler? Yeah, the key thing that stood out to me in this, in this article was, um, you know, so it is very clear union and management came together. Um, union will, they kind of made it very clear in the article, we'll, we'll, we'll collaborate if you want to, we'll fight if you want to, right? It's your call, but it's management's call, right? You guys determine whether you want to collaborate or fight. Yeah. And how much of this was dependent on that one leader deciding that he wanted to collaborate? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, the article doesn't really go into how much this has expanded, effectively expanded. I know it's expanded. How much has it effectively expanded beyond this one factory? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe we can... We'll have to go check into that, and, and we, we we'll probably end up uh, in future episodes. There'll be stories where um, I'm sure we'll end up talking about uh, days back in the auto industry, and we'll continue swapping stories. And some of these stories can only be told over a drink, it seems. Yeah, there's there's some uh, <laughs> there's some good ones and some bad ones, but you know, one thing for sure is the auto industry always came with a lot of long work hours, and so that meant there's lots of stories to go along with it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so that's uh, that's that's lean in the news, and and we're going to do that. I think in each of the episodes here, and, and gosh, we we tried designing a format, but we're also going to practice kaizen and continuous improvement with the format, right? Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what we like first of all, and we'll also yeah. see what our listeners like. Yeah. Um. And and works for them. So there's there's always something to react to. Um. But we do also want to take. Uh, Take questions from people, uh, stuff that prompts us for discussion. Um, you put a teaser out on LinkedIn, and we got several questions already uh, that we can work from. And I, I have to admit, some of my uh, column writing is, is sometimes a client asks me a question. I don't really love my answer, so I go and <laughs> really sharpen my own thinking by writing, writing a column about it. So yeah. So our first question is from Beth Croft. Uh, the question is, how can we build the culture of lean? What do you recommend is the best tool or tactic to get an organization started? And, you know, that's, those are big questions, right? We could probably <laughs> write a multi-volume book, multi book series on that, that alone. But, but let's, let's hone in on the best place to get started. So what's, what's your, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I mean, for, you know, for a while, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, people will reach out and ask me questions that are some variety of uh, what lean tools should we implement first? And, you know, I, I try to remind people there, there's a great chapter heading in Taichi Ono's book on the Toyota production system that says simply start from need, right? So I try to redirect that, you know, like what tool should we start with? question back to a question around, well, what are you trying to accomplish and what problems are you trying to solve? And sometimes, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting psychology around starting small, 
starting with baby steps. Like if the business is really crashing and burning, you know, then we might need to address big issues. But I've just seen in so many different settings, um, starting off with a practice of small Kaizen, or some organizations call this daily Kaizen, just to get people engaged in solving problems that matter in their work and just building participation and getting people learning and practicing uh, plan, do, study, adjust cycles. Um, each individual might have different needs that they want to address. That's one way to get started. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. If, uh, of course, you have to make sure, like the leader in the, uh, the Chrysler example, you have to give people permission to do that, which is sometimes the hardest part. Um, yeah, so I've, I've always said it a little differently, but pretty much make the same point is I've always said, start with something that has an impact. And yeah. mm -hmm. the reason I've said it that way, I've just seen so many places start with something like 5S. And that's because of a book or a consultant, there's a lot of lean journeys that follow the consultant's roadmap. And I, while I, while I operated in that space, I, I tried never to have a recipe that somebody else had to follow. But they'd start with something like 5S and it would, it would, they'd focus on it for a year and not really impact people. It would, it would be a bunch of work. Mm -hmm. um, it would make things slightly better. But for them, it wasn't really a problem. It didn't really have a positive impact. And so it put a, a bad taste in people's mouths. Mm -hmm. So I, I, kind of, I kind of say start with something that has an impact. Make sure that people are going to feel like their effort was worthwhile. Um, yeah. But I think the other aspect that I, I always go back to in starting is, is, is not just what to start with, but where. And uh, so my, my phrasing has always been an inch deep, mile wide or a mile deep and an inch wide. Um, so the point is you go work with one team and 10 people and you're gonna explore 40 different methods and go super deep, build a culture and a management system and everything else that goes along with it. You've only touched a portion of the organization or mm -hmm. you're gonna take one thing and go across the whole organization, really make it part and then go another inch deep. And yeah. And that's a, that, a question depends on economics. It depends on the current culture. It depends on a lot of things. There's no right answer to it. Yeah. But I think it's something people need to, need to think through before they go too far. Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, there's times where 5S is beneficial and as helpful as that can be in certain, certain circumstances. Um, even worse than not making it better, it's just you, you read stories sometimes of people being like actively alienated. Right. There was a story probably going back 10 years ago in the news in England. It was the, the, the British tax office. So the equivalent of the American IRS. And they had this lean office initiative and they were telling people that they had to mark their keyboard and mouse location with tape outlines and they couldn't have family photos on their desks. And I think, well, I don't think any of that was doing anything to make people's work easier, better, more fulfilling. Um, so I could see why people kind of uh, went to the media and it became this big blow up. I could understand. Yeah, I, I remember you sharing a lot of those, a lot of those stories. And I've seen, I remember, uh, you know, uh, the chairman of a, a company, very respected in the company and learning 5S from some of their internal lean people and went on a rampage about how he's not going to put, you know, tape around a staple. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that is, 
again, who are you starting with? Why are you starting there? And again, what's going to what's, what's going to actually help people? Um, I, I think you need to read your audience and push them, but push them just enough. Right? You yeah. push people too hard, and and uh, you're going to get more resistance than you really bargain for. Uh, if you don't push them at all, then no learning's happening, mm-hmm. and no, nobody's exploring what better really looks like. So. Yeah got to strike a balance there about how how receptive the organization is well and and going back to the first part of Beth's question how do you build a culture of lean well you're not going to make progress if you don't at least get people started and engaged and and participating and like you know in healthcare there's often a lot of talk around uh, how do we get the doctors engaged and sometimes a group of doctors will ask how are we going to get the nurses engaged (laughs) like well let's just Let's try, you know, like, let's, let's work on things, you know, if we can be of service to the doctors, then they'll view lean as something positive instead of being something that's imposed on them. And if you can be of service to the doctors, then you're probably going to pique the interest of some who are then going to want to start participating and work toward that culture. Right. Right. And it's, uh, and, and I'll, I'm going to have to pour myself another, another glass here. Oh. You, you don't have to, but you're choosing to. That's, that, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I choose to. And as, as you can see, but our audience can't, I'm very close to finishing this bottle. Ah, all right. That's, that's a shame, but I have enjoyed it. So I, I remember going back to my time at DT Energy, and this is right after Chrysler, and we did this massive study, kind of go out, do interviews up and down the organization, across the whole breadth. And, um, and, and, and what the conclusion was, here's what the executives said were the top 10 problems in the organization, but the rest of the organization doesn't get it. And the rest of the organization said, here's what the top 10 problems are in the company, but the executives don't get it. Mm. And it was the same list. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> almost identical to each other. And, you know, the point was that, you know, everybody was very cautious. Everybody... Uh, wanted to have this perfect plan and figure out how we're going to convince everybody else to do stuff. At some point, you just got to start. You got to kind of have faith in other people. You don't have to have faith in lean, but you have to have faith in other people <laughs> and uh, and get started. Yeah. And I think that, that that's what we're doing here with the podcast. Jamie and I have faith in each other that we can try to do something interesting here. <laughs> that's right. We did. We, we certainly did plan, but I, I I don't think we went anywhere close to over planning. Right. So you're gonna you're 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 listening to two lean guys struggle with the right balance of standardized work and 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 we're gonna try to continuously improve, right? Yeah, probably probably a mistake is we didn't drink whiskey while planning. Uh, <laughs> only while only while podcasting. So maybe that maybe that would change something. Yeah. But um, you know, thank you, Beth. You know, at least you know, we we had kind of a at least a couple of minutes to try to touch on the question. And, you know, I encourage listeners, if you have questions, you can contact us through, oh gosh, you can contact us uh, a number of ways. There, there's an email address, leanpodcast at gmail.com. You can contact us through LinkedIn or Twitter, or I had someone send me a message through Instagram, which is probably the worst, least reliable way of trying to act. You know, I don't look at, I, I don't think I even knew Instagram had, a messages feature. So please don't try to contact me that way. Although that works for me because I actually enjoy 
I'm a very visual guy, so I actually enjoy Instagram far more than some of the other platforms. So uh, yeah, either way, we're gonna we're gonna put it on a list, and we already have uh, more questions than we probably have uh, time to answer in future episodes. So I'm sure we'll have plenty of questions and uh, plenty of plenty of substance to chew on. Yeah. So leanpodcast at gmail.com and let's take another sip. Sometimes whiskey is something that you can chew on. They call this the Kentucky chew. Yes. Although it's not limited to Kentucky bourbon as, yeah. as we know. <laughs> we have chewy Texas and Wyoming uh, bourbon. So as we start to wrap up here, we're also going to try to touch on some fun stuff. And you know, the NHL and NBA playoffs both started this past week. Um, do, do, do you have a particular team or teams that you're pulling for? What about you, Jamie? Yeah, so, so neither are really my sport. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a soccer guy, as, as most people at this point I share pretty openly with. So I like to use examples because a lot of people, you know, at least familiar with, you know, the, the environment. But it's also me. It's just my stuff. I like to bring who I am to the conversation. But mm-hmm. uh, basketball, which I watched the least of, uh, I grew up kind of as a Lakers fan because I enjoyed some of the players back in that day. But I lived in Detroit for a lot of time. Yeah. Grew to really respect the Pistons as an organization, uh, especially for what they did. So I'm going to pull for the Pistons. Um and in uh, in the in the NHL, uh, I've always been a Flyers fan, um, but they're they're not there. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to say the Penguins. I, I do respect uh, them as a as an organization, and I, I go to Pit- Pittsburgh fairly often for for board meetings and other reasons. I was there most recently for the Industry Week conference. And boy, they are a heck of a sports town, and, and yeah. uh, they, they really know how to do it right, respectfully and passionately. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Penguins, because the Philadelphia fans don't always have that respectful reputation. <laughs> well, you know that's that's why I kind of have to add that, right? Because because while I, I'm a I'm a Philly fan for the Flyers, but probably not the other sports. Um, I have a pretty eclectic view of of how I became fans of different teams. Um, but no, Philly, and it's not just other teams, right? See, sometimes even their own teams, not yeah. terribly respectful <laughs> of, of, of their own, of, of sports, uh, teams in general. So yeah. how about yourself? Who are you pulling for? Well, so it's funny. You're, you're, you're pulling for teams in the East. I'm pulling for two teams that are uh, in the Western conference of both sports. Uh, it's funny. You mentioned the Pistons. I grew up in the Detroit area. That was, uh, a, team I followed when I was a kid. They won two championships while I was in high school. This was the Isaiah Thomas era of the uh, the quote-unquote bad boys. Yep, one that heck was, of an era. That was my team. Um, yeah, I, my wife and I lived in San Antonio for three years, and I'll tell you that we fell in love with the San Antonio Spurs. The team... Uh, their their approach, just uh, that town. Like if you live in San Antonio, you have to love the Spurs. It's 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 an obligation, right? Civic, civic obligation. But um, so yeah, I, I am pulling for the Spurs. They had uh, game one the other night was on at uh, nine thirty in the evening, and I'm getting old, and that may, that's hard to stay up and watch. <laughs> if it's on that late. 
but they won game one. And then um, when it comes to hockey, I, I, I grew up a Red Wings fan, again, with Detroit. They are not in the playoffs this year, so I am pulling uh, for the Dallas Stars, and I'm actually going to their uh, game three of their first round series with a couple of buddies of mine. So that that's now the local team, and I'm, I'm going to pull for them. Excellent. Well, it, it's it's hard to beat the Red Wings from a fan base standpoint. I, I, I'll tell you, trying to run a factory <laughs> on second shift with the Red Wings in the playoffs, um, uh, there's more unique ways to get TVs in view of every particular person that cared uh, while running, all running the factory than I can imagine. So uh, tough to beat that as a passionate fan base. Well, so yeah, well, the Red Wings have been easy to beat the last couple of years because they, they did have a historically long run of maybe like 20 straight years in the playoffs, which the Spurs have very much, they're, they're like, I think 22 consecutive years in the playoffs. And it's been hard as a Red Wings fan to see them not make the playoffs. If the Spurs go through a rough patch like that, it'll be it'll be difficult for Spurs fans. But I do want to follow up and ask, wait a minute, did you say you had TVs in the factory? Well, they weren't authorized TVs. They, you know, <laughs> they weren't put up uh, by management. They were, but there were ways. There were TVs in the factory. There's, um, yeah. and and you had to you had to walk a balance of uh, you know, when to shut them down and when not to, but, um, but yeah, there were, there were enough that at least they only seemed to come out when the Red Wings were in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, and I, I do remember reading stories that were, uh, about it's now closed. Um, the GM Janesville, Wisconsin plant. Yes. Monday night, second shift when the Green Bay Packers were on Monday night football, they had this dilemma of, if you didn't let watch people watch the game, they'd call in sick and they couldn't build any trucks. And, and management actually did bring out, I believe, authorized TVs. Yeah. And I, hmm, I don't know if I want a truck built that day. And there's also jokes in the auto industry about you don't want to buy a vehicle that was built uh, at the beginning of uh, deer hunting season either, because there was a lot of absenteeism. Yep. Yep, some of the some of the challenges, but you know, sports is sports is big business for a reason. So um, you know, people want to follow, and and I and I have to admit, when when my soccer teams are on, um, I, I I try my darndest to make sure I can see it live. Yeah, and and so I, I brought things back to a a dark auto industry place, but sports can <laughs> also help bring people together. Um, my my wife, who's not really naturally a sports fan um when when she's worked in different places um you know has, has tried to embrace the local sports team as, as a way you know like it's a way of connecting with uh, employees and colleagues and, and 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 that's an important part of organizational culture right absolutely and it's you know part of con- just part of connecting uh, connect around a common interest and you don't have to be as passionate as someone else but it's it's something to, something to engage around yeah, and even though I'm I'm not a soccer fan, Jamie hopefully is still going to remain friends and keep <laughs> as long as you don't put down the wrong team, you're okay. Well, I won't put down any team, so we don't really right. have to worry about that. So, um, well, it's been uh, it's been fun. I think our our hypothesis was that this would be a fun thing to do, right? Yes, it was. 
So um, I think we'll we'll do it again. Um, Want to ask people um, to look for us out there on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and uh, we'll we'll get the podcast added to other platforms. Um, I do have that domain name that's actually now going to use Lean Whiskey. Dot com and we debated do you spell it with a whiskey with a k e y dot com I think I actually own lean whiskey without the e which is how uh, the Scottish they spell yes. whiskey w i s k y you're a purist that believes that nobody else uh, can actually make the stuff then that is the proper spelling but right. so uh, maybe I gave up that domain so I'll, I'll just in the future here's a kaizen opportunity lean whiskey k e y uh, dot com and that'll forward you to uh, leanblog.com slash lean whiskey jamie's website if you want to mention it or where people can find episodes there if they want yeah so it's jflinch.com uh slash lean whiskey uh so we'll we'll you can either find the blog post and we'll have them have them in there or we'll have them all posted in that particular page yeah so ask us you know uh, ask you uh please go uh, if you like the podcast, or at least if you think it has potential <laughs> to subscribe and please rate and review, that'll help others find the podcast. So, uh, Jamie, I guess we did it. That's episode one of Lean Whiskey. Episode one, our, our wet run is is in the bag and uh, looking forward to, uh, first of all, our listener feedback, but also uh, looking to episode two. Yeah, and people can use leanpodcast at gmail.com as a way of uh, providing feedback or asking questions for future podcasts. So uh, some whiskeys are uh, packaged in a bag. The bottle comes in a bag. But um, so when you say in the bag, that there's another whiskey reference. Maybe there I'm trying too hard to find those. <laughs> so uh, cheers. Cheers. Come pie. Thanks, Jamie. We'll, we'll do it again soon, I hope. Talk to you soon.